0: It's great to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh, before I dive into the message, I just want to say a real quick word of encouragement just about this church. And, And my joy as being the pastor of Brazos Fellowship, we literally every week get to see life change happen around here. That people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, people's lives are changing, their marriages are changing, people are taking next steps in obedience to Jesus, and it's just been beautiful to see that happen. Even over this last year with all of the restrictions and limitations that we've had, it's been incredible to see that. But I want to say to you, a big part of what God is using to make that continue to happen is you guys. It is your selfless, sacrificial financial gifts that you give to help keep the lights on around here and keep keep us going, that you believe in it and it's an act of obedience, I get that. Jesus taught that if you're gonna be a serious follower of him, that you cannot... set giving aside like generosity is an optional we have to continue to grow in giving and in generosity so thank you guys so much for being willing to do that to make that a a big part of your life and for those of you who are consistent givers or if you're considering becoming a consistent giver around here i want to share with you a simple way that you can begin that process or implement it into your life right now it's called text give okay very simple, and maybe you've heard us talk about this before. It's very simple, getting started. All you have to send is any dollar amount at all, any dollar amount, and the word Brazos, you text that to 47. Uh, pardon me, 45777, 45777, you text that, and then it'll prompt you to uh, set up your account, you can do it however you want, if you want to do it through a credit card, your bank account, whatever, you have full control over that, you can stop at any time, you can do however you want to do it, Uh, but the beautiful thing is, it is a simple way to make an eternal difference, so if you want to just send a text, you can get the prompt, and then do it later whenever you want, it'll kind of help remind you. I know that these little uh, uh, helps that we have here at Brazos Fellowship help even Leslie and I. You know, there's months where we go, have we paid the tithe yet? Have we done, have we done, you know, like we have to go check and, but when we automate it, we kind of have it set up. It just makes it easy. Our intention, our heart, it gets done and we don't have to put it on a list and remember to do it. So I just wanted to encourage you to put that into your life too. I think it can make a big difference and it'll certainly help what God's doing around here. So, Well, let's dive now into the message we've been in for a number of weeks now. The most important thing about you where we've been looking at the attributes of God. Now, why are we doing that? We started with this quote from A.W. Tozer, this great theologian pastor, who said that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind, what do we conceptually, perceptually uh, hold on to in terms of truth about God, it's so powerful. It shapes our relationship with God, just like your perception of another human being would shape your relationship with them. If you believe someone has got it out for you and do not have your best interests at heart or they're not trustworthy, they're trying to hurt you, you're never going to be close with them, are you? your perceptions will shape that reality, and our perceptions shape our reality all the time. Our our, uh, perceptions are maybe one of the most powerful things about you in terms of what your mind does for you, uh, either against you or for you at any given time, because your perceptions, if they're true or false, they're going to shape your reality. Now, just in case you doubt that, I want you to think about this question. Why is perjury or lying under oath illegal? in this country. Why is that? Because we're asking a group of people, specifically jurors, to make a decision about the future of someone's life. One way or another it's going to affect somebody's life for the rest of their life based on testimony that was sworn to be the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So their perception is that what they're hearing is true. And they're trying to make a decision based on the truth. In other words, we have collectively as a country said, when it comes to making decisions for your reality, or making your decisions for someone else's reality, you must have the truth. Like it's your right to know the truth. And we looked at last week the fact that we also have laws against uh, Federal Trade Union, against false advertising. We don't want you to be sold a bill of goods, like be lied to to buy a good or service. That's not any way to run a country. So we have collectively said truth is important. It's really important. And I would go even a step further to say truth is so precious, we should put it above how we're feeling what uh, somebody else feels. Truth is more important than feelings. It's more important than what's popular. It's more important than what is culturally accepted, what is politically correct even. Truth is hard to find sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to find. We need to know what the truth is, especially when it comes to God and understanding and knowing God. So important. That's why I want to challenge you, and I've done this for a couple of weeks now, to pray a little prayer right now before we go any further with the message. Right where you sit, just simply saying, God, help me to correct my misperceptions of you. Wherever they are, we all have them at times. Where are my misperceptions, God, of understanding who you are? The beautiful thing is, if you're willing to pray that prayer, just even silently right where you are, you recruit the help of God. God tells us all through the Bible, as far back as the prophet Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, he tells us, if you, and he's quoting God here, he says, if you seek me, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. You will seek me, you will find me. God's saying, if you seek me, you're really looking for me, I will let myself be found by you. You will recruit my help. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reveal myself to you in a powerful way. So over these last several weeks, we've been looking at these character qualities, attributes of God, and we've said before anything else, we started the first week talking about God as Father. And He's not just any Father, He's a loving Father. He's a good Father. And we, we talked about the fact that He is wise, He is faithful. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that He's also just, which means He's gonna pour out wrath and judgment on evil in this world. And, and sin is a part of that evil. And we talked about that. And this week, to introduce our topic, I want to do something a little bit different, okay? So bear with me. I want you to sing something with me, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Here's the lyrics up here. I'm going to start the song, but the highlight of words, I want you to sing with me, okay? So here we go. What the world needs now is <laughs> Woo! It's the only thing that there's just not just too little love. Oh, I just messed that line up. I'm no Dion Warwick, I'll tell you that, okay? Or Burt Bacharach, who actually wrote the song. So, But thank you. I appreciate you guys doing that. And isn't that true? Maybe it's more true now than ever before. The whole world is hungry and desiring love. From the time we're born, we desire it. Babies love. Even research will say being held and being hugged helps them develop emotionally and sociologically, that without that, it stunts their growth. Like, whoo, that's crazy. It's really powerful. But also, all the way to the very end of life, we want to be surrounded by people who love us when we're breathing our last breaths, right? Nobody wants to be left all alone, to die all alone and without anybody around us. And here's one thing that I've noticed, too, that's interesting about the human experience, that we tend to be the most uninhibited with love early in life and later in life. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Little kids, and I'm sure you've seen it with your kids, they tend to be just indiscriminate with their love. They want to love everybody. And any, they'll hug just about anybody. They, they'll talk to just about anybody. Um, I know there are exceptions to that, but it's kind of interesting. Like I remember when our girls were little, um, when I would come home at the end of the day, and their bedrooms were in the back of the house, and I could hear them before I could see them. I could hear Daddy, and then they would come around the corner with their arms already out like this, right? Have you, have you ever had this happen to you? And they would come and latch on to my legs like their fire poles, and they'd slide down over my feet. And then I had to do the Frankenstein walk like this. But it was so sweet. I loved the love, right? It was beautiful. It was so sweet. And there's something about as we age that we sort of circle back to that childlike love. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Maybe over Christmas and Thanksgiving, New Year, something like that, you saw some of your older family members, maybe a grandma or an aunt that came up to you. She didn't just hug you, she kissed you. You get a hug and a kiss from Grandma. Anybody? I used to get those a lot. And you're kind of going, whoa, can we just stop before the kiss? Grandma, why are you kissing me? You know, and you know why Grandma kisses you? Because Grandma don't care, right? She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She's too old to care anymore. There is something about the wisdom that comes with life that says, I want to love uninhibited, and I'm going to let the people that I love know that I love them, right? I think that's why Jesus said, then unless you come like one of these little children, you come with that kind of open-hearted, God, show me, I'll follow you. Yes, I'll put my yes on the table. You t- I'll follow you. Like, you don't get to come into the kingdom unless you come like that. It's so powerful. But we got a world full of people, some 7.8 billion people, and they're all craving love. We have a nearly endless, supply, or endless desire, I would say, for love insatiable appetite for love but in this world in and of itself we have temporary limited counterfeits or offerings that can satiate that appetite for a little while but i want to tell you today we have an eternal god with eternal love that we have been built for, created for, a love with him that cannot be satisfied by anyone or anything else. It doesn't mean that we don't love people. We certainly do. We are commanded to do that. But that cannot be it. No one human being, I don't care how many rom-coms you watch, no one human being can be that for you. They cannot bear up under the weight of being your sole source of love and care and compassion and kindness and all of the things that our hearts crave. They just can't do it. Nobody can do that. You need God. So let's talk up a little bit about God in terms of, um, oh, let me back up real quick. If we talk about the love of God today, if we introduce this topic. Let me define it for you real quickly. The love of God is His unconditional affection, correction, And sacrifice. Affection, correction, and sacrifice. So I'm gonna share with you today two truths about God's love. And here's the first one that God is lovingly directing our lives, He is lovingly directing our lives, especially. If you're a follower of him, if you're a child of God, he definitely is involved, but he wants to be involved in every person that he creates his life, and so the question you may be asking is why? Why does he want to lovingly direct my life? To answer that, think about the relationship you have with your children, or if you don't have children, imagine someday that you will, okay? A little person that relies on you for everything, and you love them like crazy, like why would you be involved in their life if they turned to you and said, Mom, Dad, why are you always up in my business? Why are you always trying to tell me what to do? Why are you putting restrictions on me and rules on me and, and trying to um, tell me when to go to bed and when to wake up? and when to, Are you just trying to make life hard for me? And, of course, you would say, No, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to correct and direct you now so that you will be blessed later. There's something powerful about learning how to receive correction and get on the right path early in life. And and, and experience and time teaches us all this. The longer we wait, the harder it is to change. It is. And there is a point at which... Sometimes people say, forget it, I'm not going to change. I'm just going to live with the consequence. They're they're just going to have to live with whatever that burden is that comes with it. And we don't want that for our kids. We want what's best for our kids. It's powerful. So today what I want to do is take a look at this parallel that Jesus teaches that between us and our kids and between our Heavenly Father and us as His kids, and how that dynamic of love from God plays out in that relationship. He talks about this, unpacks it for us, over in Matthew chapter 7. This is kind of right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Here's what Jesus says. This is from the NLC, the New Living Translation. He says, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? They ask for bread, a stone, right? If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not, Jesus says. I love that. Of course not. That's like Parenting 101. Of course you don't do that. He says, of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, in other words, you struggle to do the right thing all the time, don't you? I do too. He's saying, you're sinful. There are times where you, you know what's probably right, but you don't choose it. You, you, you know that putting God first is probably the best thing for you, but you choose something else. Over and over, there are times you struggle with sin in your life. He says, so if you, in that kind of broken down condition, you still have enough discernment to know how to bless your kids and know what is best for them, he says, how much more? You see what Jesus is doing? He's comparing two things, the lesser to the greater. Here's two things that have something really powerful in common, but here's the lesser and here's the greater. So if it's this is true of the lesser one, then it's going to be really true of the, of the greater one, okay? How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You know how. He's perfect, right? You're not per- I'm not perfect. We're not. And we know how to do it. He says, how much more? If your child comes to you and asks for something, would you ever knowingly give them something that could harm them? Of course not. Why? Because you love them. That's Jesus' point. And if that's true of you, how much more is it true of your heavenly Father? The times that he says, no, I'm not gonna give you that. I'm going I'm to, We're gonna wait, I'm gonna give you something better. I've got something more in store. In other words, he is compelled by his love to act in your best interest. Some of you may say, oh yeah, I believe that, but you don't really believe it because you don't live like it's true. Because when push comes to shove, do you actually choose to trust him when life is not going as you planned? And, and things are not panning out as you had hoped. Are you willing to say, no, I'm still trusting your love as my heavenly Father in this moment. I'm willing to turn to you, to trust you, I'm willing to let you direct my life. And you need to know at all times God is directing, he is orchestrating people and circumstances, events in your life to work out your good, to work out my good. Now working out my good doesn't always mean, or your good means it's gonna be easy. Many times I have found that God's way is one of the hardest ways. <laughs> he's gonna take you through some boot camp t- time. He's gonna teach you some things that can only be learned through really difficult circumstances, but he is going to bring good out of it. You've gotta trust him that he's willing to work good out of all these things. Now, there's another place in the New Testament where um, this parallel is evoked when it comes to discipline in our life between earthly parents and earthly kids and a heavenly father and you and I as his heavenly kids, if you will, as God's children. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse six, the writer of Hebrews says this, for the Lord disciplines those he, let's say it together, those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child, And this is no fun, just like it's no fun for your kids when you have to discipline them. But you do it not out of spite, out of anger. A good parent, even a fallen, sinful parent, will do it because they love their children. They accept them as a child, and this is part of how it's proven We've even used that argument with our girls. We would say, hey, if we didn't care anything about you, we would not put restrictions on your phone. We wouldn't, put, we wouldn't care about who you spend the night with. We wouldn't you know, like, have these talks with you. But because we love you and we care about you, we're gonna ask and we're gonna put restrictions and we're gonna limit because we know if you have unlimited access, you're too young to handle it well. Just like I I couldn't handle it well when I was that age, you know. Like we all, we need somebody looking out for us, and God does that for us. I remember as our girls were little, one of the times that uh, I I remember um, correcting them in a way that kind of scared them, like was jolted them. Like, have you guys ever tried to load kids into a car or SUV in a busy? parking lot, like HEB or something. And there's more of the kids than there are of you, right? And so you're buckling in the kid. You can only like, and you're like trying to hang on to one kid while you're, and then that one wants to do laps around the car while cars are coming. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my mind doing this. Okay. So, um, and I remember a time or two grabbing one of my girl's arms and jerking them back because I can see a car coming down the row And she doesn't, and she's going to just take off and do a little 50-yard dash down through there. And uh, I jerk her back, and she's like, (gasps) and it makes her cry. And I'm like, sweetie, I'm so sorry. I wasn't trying to hurt you or make you scared, but I had to protect you as your dad. Because I love you, I can't let you just run out there. And you need to understand that is such a powerful dynamic to remember in your mind when things are hard in your life and they're not going as planned and it's difficult and it's hard. It's taking longer than you thought. It's more expensive than you thought. It's, it's taking, it takes more out of you. You're exhausted. You're tired. You want to give up. You need to understand you have a loving Heavenly Father that's saying, I'm walking with you through this and I'm not, I have not left you alone and I'm going to help you through this. But... That He's trying to help us to see that if we will trust Him and we will turn back to Him, He wants to redirect our life away from maybe times in our life where we're making decisions, where we're headed towards something that will self-destruct us, or it's going to hurt somebody else, and we can't see it. And maybe it's sinful decisions that we're not fully aware of, or we're aware of it, but we're just not addressing it. We're just like, I'm just gonna let it be what it's gonna be, I'm just gonna keep doing it, I know I shouldn't be doing it, I shouldn't be making different decisions, but here's the thing about sin. Every time we allow sin into our life, we choose it, it splinters us. It splits us down in the deepest part of our hearts Because we were built, this is so important that you understand this, you were built, you were created by God out of his love for him. So there is always gonna be a part of you. You'll never have this any other way. There will always, and I'm talking about every human being, the worst human being you can imagine, there is always a part of that person that desires God, that is created for God, and it will never change. But when we sin, we splinter off a part of us that goes a different direction. It's splintering, and it was—it breaks our integrity. We're not a integral or whole person anymore. And, and when I talk to people who have been stuck in sin, who have chosen things that they know were wrong, it was horrible, and there's ramification. In the moment, oh, it was just elation, crazy, good, amazing. I remember I used to have a youth minister who said, if you're not having fun sinning, then you're doing the wrong sin. Okay, but he said, but it's only for a moment. And then you feel the wound, the guilt, the shame that comes with it. And you can't shake it. Like, it doesn't matter what you believe about God. You will carry that with you throughout your life. But it splinters your heart, your soul. But the beautiful thing is, God uses two things to help heal the wounded soul, the wounded soul by sin. And the first thing is that God uses confession to heal our soul. Let me share this with you. God uses confession. And I want to tell you that if that's you today and there's been something in your past or even in your present, it's an ongoing persistent sin in your life that you haven't been able to shake or it's something you know is wrong and you need to change it and God's convicted you of it and you need it and you just haven't yet or you've tried in your own power and you couldn't do it, let me tell you the first step, confession. And I'm not talking about just saying, God, I blew it, I messed up. I'm talking about dumping your heart out, getting honest to God, giving yourself a chunk of time. I've shared this before. For me, one of the most powerful ways that I have found to do this is by writing it in my journal. There's something about, and and then I will come back even and read it out loud. I'll try to go find a very private place, right? But just between me and God, maybe sometimes it may be in my closet, and maybe it's out in the woods, um, uh, you know, on a trail or something, and just talk to God and just tell and say it out loud to him. There is something so powerful. I remember one uh, pastor mentor of mine, it said that through the lips and over the fingertips, thoughts disentangle themselves, and it's so powerful. That when we come before God, there's all this swirling emotion, and as I'm hurting God, I'm frustrated, I know there's a barrier. Spiritually, I keep bumping up against it, I can't get past it. You may be one confession away through, from an incredible breakthrough spiritually in your life. That you come before God and say, God, here's what I have done. I chose it. It wasn't an uh-oh, a mistake, I, uh-oh, man, that was just, you know, bad day. No, I own it be a big girl, big boy, I chose it, I did this, and I need your forgiveness. Forgiveness, asking for God's forgiveness is a part of confession. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He tells us that we need to start with confession. Confess your sins to him. Take time to do that, And then the second part of this is that God uses repentance, which is a second part of this. This is the beginning of healing your soul, okay? And let me just say, repentance is an about face. It's doing a 180 from this lifestyle or this choice that you've been making. Now you're turning away from it. And let me be clear here. It is not just about behavior change or behavior modification. Like, definitely that's involved. We're changing our behavior. We're turning from one behavior and back to God. But it's so much deeper than that. It has to go all the way down to the core of your heart, into your soul, and begin to ask the question, God, show me why I do that. Why do I want, this is the critical question, why do I want To do that, why do I want to sin in this lustful way? Why do I want to put those images before my eyes? Why do I want to talk like that? Why do I want to run people down behind their back? Why do I want to talk all the time and over people and put them down? Why do I do these things? God, why? Because there is a reason. And part of it is because your heart is trying to latch on to something else that is not God, to take the place of God, and it is causing you to be pulled away from God and and adopt behaviors that are the antithesis of what God calls you to do. But here's the beautiful thing. When you begin to ask God, God, I don't want, this is such an important next step, I don't want what I currently want. I don't want what has made me go in that direction and destroy and self-destruct my life. I don't want that anymore. Tell him, I don't want that. I want to want what you want. You're you're confessing, I want my desires to be different, God. Because ultimately, the way you feel and the way you act and the stuff that comes out of your mouth comes from what you want. It comes from your desires. But when we begin to delight ourselves in the Lord... David talked about this in Psalm 34, verse 7. He says, when you delight, learn how. This takes time. Delight yourself in the Lord. Spend time with Him. He will give you the desires of your heart, the wants of your heart. He will give the wants themselves to you. They'll become a gift from God. And I've heard... It said, and it sounded crazy to me when I first heard it, but the more that I have lived this out, I've found this to be so powerfully true that when you delight yourself in the Lord, you seek Him and you say, God, I want you to replace my old wants that caused me to go down that path towards sin. I want you to give me new wants that will make me go down your path, your will towards you and grow closer to you. When we begin to do that, there's going to start to come a time where your wants are so different. You can sin all you want. You can lie all you want, steal all you want. You can be as lustful as you want because you won't want to anymore because you have found, just like the parable of the the pearl of great price where you remember the guy who found this land and he said, oh my gosh, there's this treasure. I'm gonna go sell everything to come back and buy the land so that I can have the treasure. He wasn't like, oh well, I guess I'll... Make this huge sacrifice for God so that I can have his treasure. No, he was like, this is the best deal in the universe. I can't wait to sell everything to go have the treasure. And this is what God is showing us. Once you get a taste of me and my love and what I have for you, there is such a satisfaction down to the deepest part of our souls that nothing else in this world can satisfy. That you will say, I just want more of you, God. I just want you, and nothing else will do. Nothing else comes close to what you offer to me. And he's showing us, don't settle for counterfeits. I want to share with you this great passage from uh, the disciple John in the, the first epistle. John. First uh, John chapter 2 verses 15 through 16 where he lays this out that how our loves get mixed up the love that's supposed to be for God gets fixed on the things of this world and I'm going to share it to you from the message translation uh, uh, this is such a great straightforward way to look at it he says don't love the world's ways don't love the world's goods love of the world squeezes out love for the father what a great way to put it it begins to leave no room, almost no room for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in this world, in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important. Isn't that true? That's what I, the way our world's set up. How many followers and likes do you have? Go past a magazine rack. It looks like if you're good looking, you're wealthy, you're famous, you're like, then you got it made. Like that's what we're all trying to do, evidently. That's who we hold up as like the thing, the the object we're all shooting for. And he's saying, that's empty. It is a facade. It is a charade. It is not going to give you what your heart longs for. He says. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing, notice this, nothing to do with the Father. Nothing. You're going in the wrong direction. Wrong direction. He says, it just isolates you from Him. You don't get to know Him better. You get to know Him less. He says, the world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way Out. It's an old system that's broken and never worked in the first place, and it is going to pass away. He says, but let's say it together but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Whoever, God swings open that door really wide. Whoever wants what God wants is set for eternity. He tells us that God desires for you to not long for wealth and power, good looks, all the things that this world says, well, if you have that, then this world will value you, will glorify you, and everybody will love you. He's saying it's empty. There are people that have achieved all of that and commit suicide all the time because it does not deliver. He's saying don't do it. And even when those things you're blessed with You're blessed with wealth. You're blessed with a a, a great income, great position. You're you're blessed with great looks. You're blessed with it. That's great. That's wonderful. There's There's nothing against that. Just hold it loosely. Make sure your hands are open wide. Do not try to get your security and hope from those things because they will break your heart and they will splinter your heart and they will push you away from God. Do not do that. Keep your hands open. In other words, Your heart is hungry for the bread of life, for fish, but this world can only give you stones and snakes. can only give you stones and snakes. You want the bread of life, Jesus is saying, I'm the only place you get it. Come to me. Here's the next truth, that God demonstrates real love in Jesus. Real love. This is the only way we know what real love is. And Jesus shares this dilemma that every single human being is going through and is going through, and some of you are right there right now, and he says that sin in our life, sin for all of us, it blocks God's love, our access to God's love, until we are forgiven of that sin. No one has access to God's love until we are forgiven of our sin. But the problem is that we cannot pardon ourselves. A lot of people try to be righteous enough. If I could just be good enough, go to church enough, be you know, getting God's good graces that maybe he'll let me into heaven. It does not work like that. It doesn't work like that any more than a convicted criminal standing before a judge tells the judge, "Hey judge, I pardon my sin. So you can let me go free. I'm good." Doesn't work like that, does it? No. We can't do it either. So God sees us in this predicament, spiritually speaking, in our sin, dead in our trespasses and sin, as Scripture says. And what does he do? Compelled by his love, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, this is what he tells us he does, how he demonstrates his love. But God demonstrates his own, let's say it together, his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, we're stuck in our sin, Christ died for us and in his death, he pays the penalty. You're standing before the judge. The retribution of justice, what is actually deserved because of the sin, Jesus says, and I will take the retribution for you. I'm gonna take the sentence for you. I will die in your place. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. Crazy, indescribable, it's called in scripture transcendent to the human mind. We cannot understand. It's so high, much higher than he loves us to such a degree. It's incredible. You see, God, what he did, his justice demanded retribution, but God's love demonstrates sacrifice through the love of Jesus Christ. This is how he did it. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, again, going back to our disciple John, he says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Every generation is struggling to even know what love is. Is it something we feel? Is it just something that we, we strive for and maybe we can someday find it? He's saying we find it first in Jesus. And then when it becomes a part of us, then we can share it with other people. But it starts there. That's how it starts. In other words, God's justice what God's justice demanded, God's love provided. What God's justice demanded, God's love provided. What a beautiful thought. And I want to end with this, maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3:16, again written by the same man, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that and here's our word again that whoever Again, swinging that door open wide, whoever believes places the weight of their trust and their hope in him, him being Jesus, shall not perish, not eternal death and separation from God, which sin deserves, but will have eternal life through Christ. Beautiful. Once again, thanks for listening.